Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Media. Thank you, ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Taking selfies in the movie theater. That is a dumb idea. Do not do that. You know what is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. parentheses based on Trustpilot rating of hiring sites with more than 1,000 reviews. End parentheses. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And now our listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. Today's show is brought to you by Hilton. When you travel for work, do you stay by the airport or do you stay downtown? Do you take your clients out for dinner? Do you have room service? Should you pack your swimsuit? How do you answer these questions? Just ask yourself, what would the boss do? Here's the answer. The boss would choose Hilton. Hilton has modern meeting spaces and amazing pools and everything else you need to get down to business and a little pleasure. So check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts and travel like a boss. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm not at Vox Media headquarters in New York City. I'm somewhere in Brooklyn in the the Slate Panoply Empire. Thanks for letting us do this interview here, guys. If you like the show, tell someone else about it. There, I'm done with the pitch. I want to get right to my interview with Nicole Holof Center, one of my favorite writers and directors. Thank you. The whole reason I do podcasts is, is, well, I theoretically do them so I can talk about tech and media and their collision, but it's really to talk to people like you. So yay me and yay you for That's showing up. That's good. If you have an excuse to meet the people you want to meet, I'm go so, for it. And they tell you you shouldn't meet people you really like, but I don't think that's true. We'll I will see. disappoint we'll, you. We will see how this goes. Okay, I'll do my best. The reason you are talking to me today is you have a new movie out, which you can see as you listen to this right now. You should listen to this and then go watch it. Um, on Netflix, it's called? The Land of Steady Habits. Do we call this a Netflix movie or do we just call it a movie that is streaming on Netflix? I don't think I would ever say it's a Netflix movie, but I would say it will be on Netflix. So I still call it a movie. I made a movie, and you can watch it on Netflix, and Netflix made it. I used to go to to things like the Landmark Theater and Sunshine Cinemas to go watch your stuff because you are are a veteran of the 90s indie movie scene. Um, And now I get to see your stuff at home, which (laughs) if you had your druthers, what would you prefer? That I watch something like like this? Would, Would you rather that I watch this movie at home or at a theater? I'd prefer you watch it on your phone. I mean, on your uh, watch. All right. Next <laughs> on your little iWatch. Of course, in a theater. Yeah, of course. In the dark with an audience. Trapped. Yes. Yeah. But we'll, this will do. It, it, it looks yeah. great on my TV. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not feeling bad about it streaming on Netflix. You know, of course, the preference is the theater, but Netflix was terrific to work with and for, and more people will see the movie, and... I'm not sure I had a real choice um, with this one because I really wanted to um, make it my way. I want to talk about how it came to be. We should first just tell people what it is. Uh, The New York Times review that I saw called it Cheever-esque, which means it's about a middle-aged guy having a middle-aged life crisis in in upstate, in Connecticut, actually. In Westport, Connecticut. In Westport, Connecticut. Ben Mendelsohn, great actor. Many of you have seen, maybe don't know who Ben Mendelsohn is, but he's one of those those guys. You go, oh, yeah, that's Ben Mendelsohn. Um, He's great. Normally, you make movies with Catherine Keener. She's not in this movie. What else should we tell people about the plot of the movie, or should we just let them watch it? I would say watch it. And it, it kind of starts, 
a little methodically. Most of my movies sort of do, like, okay, okay. And then it by the time it ramps up, it really packs a wallop. Yeah. So don't give up on it. Things happen. <laughs> um, it happens at its own pace. It starts off with Ben Mendelsohn looking at a He's wandering around a bed, bath, and beyond, which As you make look you make it look incredibly intimidating. <laughs> it is intimidating. It's ghastly and fun. Yeah. It can be both. But it's about this guy and his um, problems and how he wreaks havoc on other people's lives. Um, very narcissistic, unhappy man. I'm going to spoil it a little bit. There is no Marvel tie-in. There is no superhero of any sort, I don't think, unless you want to use a metaphor. Although he plays a Marvel villain. Yes. In another movie. But no, it's about families and parenting, and it's funny and it's very sad as well. Yeah, I was reading the New Yorker profile of you from Uh earlier this year, and you described your movies as sad. This movie is a sad movie, or I guess all your movies are sad movies. Certainly... They get sadder as I go along. Sad, small story there. I just looked it up. Yeah. I mean, you know, all my movies, starting from Lovely and Amazing, have very sad elements or emotional elements. But in this movie, something really sad happens that's different than, you know, um, emotions. I wonder if we're not selling this hard enough. It's a great movie. You should, I would say you should go see it. You should stream it. You should stream it. You should stream it. And don't turn it off. And this is the kind (laughs) of movie that we're supposed to say people don't make anymore. But I think they do make these movies. They just show up in places like Netflix or Amazon now, maybe Mm -hmm. before, or they never get to a theater. Right. Uh, And it's, again, the kind of movie that you have been making, I think, your entire career. Yeah. So how come this movie is a Netflix movie and not one that I'm seeing in a theater? It got very close to being made with a studio, albeit a small studio. You want to walk me through the story? Is it something you actually created and then sold or? No, it's from a book uh-huh. by Ted Thompson that feels Cheever-esque itself. Yeah. And um, we uh, took it to a studio and they paid me to write it. And we started to develop it, but couldn't agree on casting and other things. And we kind of came to an impasse. Because it's so competitive right now, you know. Really, I had to offer it to, you know, the six A-list stars. We won't make this movie unless it stars actors X, Y, and Z. This one or that one or this one. And did you you say, did this have to be Ben Mendelsohn or it has to be these other actors? Well, I told them I wanted Ben Mendelsohn. From the start? From the start. He's so great. Good for you. He's so great. But, you know, it was going to be a theatrical release and a very, you know, emotional movie. Um, not a blockbuster. Yeah. And um, and some of the actors I offered it to were, are terrific and would have been terrific in it, but they didn't want to be. <laughs> or the schedule didn't work uh-huh. or something. So, Which is all sort of standard yeah. movie stuff, stuff yeah. you're used to. Yep. And uh, Ben said, yes. Well, I then went to Netflix, my producers at Likely Story, took it to Netflix, and the studio said, great, good luck. We love Nicole, but we can't do this one. And Netflix said, you can cast whoever you want. And I said, okay, Ben Mendelsohn and everybody else in it. And they were very hands-off, very supportive. And uh, it it was great experience. How long ago did you sort of start working with them? How long ago did the Netflix connection happen? I guess two years because I shot it a year and a half ago. At that time, I think they'd said we're going to do movies, but they hadn't really, I don't think, 
pushed into it very far. Did you discuss with them, well, I'd like to stream it, but I'd also like to get it in the theaters. Did you have that discussion with them, or did you already know what you were getting with them? I knew what I was getting, and it is going to have a theatrical release. Oh, it is? Yeah, for like a week in a, in the, a few cities. So it'll qualify for awards, et right, cetera. Right, right. But they have drawn this line in the sand and said, we want everyone to see this movie at the same time, and we don't want to put it in theaters first, whereas Amazon... I think in part to work with people like you has said, no, you can put it in theaters for a little bit. We'll let you have that run and then we'll stream it. Right. And that's supposedly, well, you Better. tell me, does it matter to you? It does matter to you. You'd rather you'd rather have it in a theater. Yeah, as long as it's not streaming at the same time. Yeah. You know, if it's VOD, it's like, forget it. Right. No one's going to leave the house. And in this instance, you know, probably very few people will see it in the theater unless, you know, my fan base runs out to support me, which I hope you do. Go see it. What um, What do you think about the fact that you're not going to get numbers at all about this? You're not going to have any idea who saw it except from people like me who walk up to you and say, I loved your movie. Yeah. Well, I will have some idea. Netflix will say, you know, this many people watched it or... They'll give you actual streaming numbers. Yeah, I don't know if they'll give me numbers, but they'll talk about the graph. Uh-huh. And so I'll get an idea if people are watching it or not. But it is sort of out of my hands in a way that I like. Like, you know, it's really horrible to watch your movie. Um, you know, the ads in the paper get smaller and smaller and smaller until they're not there. And yeah. then you look up and it's not in the theater anymore. And it's really hard to keep a movie in the theaters for longer than, you know, a minute. The New York Times, which liked your movie quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, A.O. Scott, Critics' Choice, I was Thank looking at so today. Thank you so much. I, I was looking at some, I was just curious. I said I wanted to see what they would say about the fact that it's streaming and you couldn't see it. There's no reference to where you see the movie at all. It's true. Don't they, They maybe they put it at the bottom of it, something. I, I looked and maybe I missed it. I mean, uh-huh. literally the photo credits say Netflix, mm. but it doesn't say anything about the fact that this is not in a movie theater, that this is streaming. There's none of that. Huh. On the one hand, I think that's kind of cool, right? They're just saying this is a movie. It's the same as any other movie. On the other hand... You might be confused if you went looking for this. People would be wandering around neighborhoods. Fandango. Yeah. Huh? Confused, yeah. Does this differ in any way from the, the in terms of putting this thing together and actually shooting and creating it then, then Lovely and Amazing or any of the movies you mm-hmm. made 10, 15, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I make a movie, there has been a casting. Not a problem, but it's very much a part of whether or not I can get the movie financed. The money and the cast are connected. Yes. Um, so, you know, places will say, I want your movie. Let's talk about casting. And, um, you know, I'm really choosy. I feel like it makes or breaks your movie. And I would prefer not to make the movie with the wrong cast because uh-huh. it won't turn out right. And so that's always an issue. But I've never had to cast someone I didn't want, you know. Maybe it was someone I wouldn't have thought of. Um, and in the end, I'm very happy they're in it and was happy to offer them the part. So sometimes the compromise is fine, and sometimes it's not, so I don't go there. And in this case, there's zero compromise. You just made zero. your movie. Yeah. Do you feel like, oh, well, if they're going to take those constraints off, maybe there's things I can do that I've never been able to do before, not having any limits gives me options to do X, Y, and Z. Did you try things you wouldn't have done normally? Uh, I, did, I had financial limits. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I want to work with a techno crane. Bring me a tech. No. Yeah. Again, <laughs> um, very low on special effects. Yeah. Catherine Keener's in all your other movies, not yeah. this one. I was expecting no. her to show up as a clerk at some point. Yeah. Scowling. As a cameo or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, Um She's too good for a cameo. 
And I missed her making this movie. Yeah. But, you know, she makes other movies with other directors. You're allowed. I'm allowed. And we knew the day would come. You know, there's so many actors I want to work with. And, and this is the yeah. first movie that has really a male lead. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. Ben Mendelsohn movie, not a Catherine Keener or Jennifer right. Aniston movie. Was that something, was that an itch you wanted to scratch? Or that's just, this is a movie that you made? It's just, this is the movie I made. I, maybe it is a little bit of an itch I wanted to scratch because I just hate being thrown into this female chick flick ghetto. And there's no way anybody could call this movie that. One of the reviews, I think it was the Times Review I saw, said it called this implicitly feminist. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you think they meant? Huh. I don't know, because the character's such a dick. <laughs> and the women really seem smarter and yeah. uh, kinder. If that's feminist, I don't know. It's just this character, right? Yeah. Explicitly. Fe okay. Implicitly, implicitly. Implicitly feminist. Okay. I'm a feminist. Yeah. Why not? I don't yeah. even know. Well, I was going to say I don't know what that means. I think I know what it means. Uh, but yeah, I was trying to figure out what that meant in the context of this movie. And I mm -hmm. guess, it, yeah, I guess you come down to it that he's a dick. It's a midlife crisis where he, spoiler, he doesn't really learn that much about himself, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think he's scarred, uh, literally and figuratively, by the end of the movie. And I think scars change people. You know, he's scarred. And hopefully that will reflect on his behavior and his self-knowledge, um, you try to be a little better of a person. I'm going to take a second here to reflect. And while I do that, I'm going to listen to an ad from one of our fine sponsors. We'll be right back with Nicole. Today's show is brought to you by Hilton. When you travel for work, do you stay by the airport or do you stay downtown? Do you take your clients out for dinner? Do you have room service? Should you pack your swimsuit? How do you answer these questions? Just ask yourself, what would the boss do? Here's the answer. The boss would choose Hilton. Hilton has modern meeting spaces and amazing pools and everything else you need to get down to business and a little pleasure. So check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts and travel like a boss. Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe. Simply Safe Home Security is ready for anything that gets thrown at it. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. If they destroy your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will still get you the help you need. Sure, maybe it's overkill. Maybe you don't need to be ready for every worst case scenario. But wouldn't you like to be ready? That's what makes Simply Safe's home security system so great. It is always ready. Simply Safe could cost an arm and a leg, but it does not. Instead, they just charge you what's fair. You get 24-7 professional security monitoring for just $14.99 a month. No contracts, no hidden fees. You can go check it out at simplysafe.com slash media today. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash media to protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash media. We're back here with Nicole talking about sponsors and movies. When you're not making movies, you occasionally direct a TV show, some commercials as well. Mm-hmm. You, is that because you have a love of TV or, or you, you're paying rent slash mortgage? Well, both. I do have to make a living and the TV stuff is fun. Commercials, while they can also be fun and I get to work with new people, that's primarily, you know, a really good money job yeah. and they're not easy to get. Do you have to raise your hand and say, I know that I make feature films that are critically acclaimed um, and many people love, but I will also make your smart water ad or whatever. You have is. to sort of beg for it. Yeah. Um, you have to write a, you know, five, six-page treatment with photographs telling them how you'll shoot it. And and then they, you know, 
they choose among many directors who've done the same. And, and presumably they, they don't want me to be able to identify a Nicole Hollow Center ad as a Nicole Hollow Center ad. I have no idea. They, but they don't want a particular thing from you. They want you to make, a, make something on a budget that's this long. No, I mean, they would choose me because of what I would bring to it, uh-huh. of what, you know, based on what my movies are like. But... Of course, I'm not the boss, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of people telling me how they want it to be. So it is collaborative in a good situation. Is TV sort of a middle ground yeah. where generally it's kind of a, described often as a writer's medium? Yeah. I mean, I am lucky enough to pick TV shows that I really like. Orange is the New Black. What else? Yeah. Oh, I started with Sex in the City and Six Feet Under and... Orange is the New Black and One Mississippi. I did the pilot and I'm doing a pilot now called Mrs. Fletcher that Tom Parada wrote for HBO. HBO. Yep. I mean, these are great people, you know, really good writers. So I show up on set and I hope to do it justice, basically, because I, I do pick what I love and I do respect the people who are making it. It's not like, a, you know, a money grab. And, right. Um, I do care. And But just explain to our listeners so that mm-hmm. the difference between directing a movie that you have created versus directing a TV show that someone else has written and sort of where you're boxed in and where you're not in terms right. of decisions? Um, I don't have the last word directing a television show. I will always turn around to Video Village where um, the writer and the producers are sitting or writers. And before I move on, I'll say, do you guys have any notes? Are you ready to move on? Are you happy? And they give a thumbs up or someone runs over and whispers yeah. in my ear. When I'm making a movie, it's it's up, uh, I have to leave it up to me. So there's this big boom in, in streaming, obviously, and yeah. Netflix and Amazon is throwing around money, and it's now Apple and lots of other folks. Yeah. They seem to want to make serialized stuff, and, and uh, some movies, you're benefiting from the movie part of it. Have you thought about, well, I could make a uh, series. That would be an interesting thing for me to do. A lot mm-hmm. of these characters and ideas would transfer over. Yeah. I've done some stuff that didn't end up getting picked up or... Uh, it didn't come to fruition. I think mostly because there was another show similar to what I was pitching, or write, I had written a lot of it. And, you know, you can only have one female character lead in my age group, uh-huh. and that show had been done. But um, And I'm, I'm, I'm actually really okay with it because showrunners, they have no life. And I, I just don't like to work that hard. Because you're working year-round, making 13 or 26 yeah, or whatever it is. Crazy. And here you make a movie with start to finish. You know what you're doing. Also, you've done it a bunch. Yeah. And it, you know, it ends. You know, I got, you know, five weeks to shoot a movie and life resumes, uh, presumably. But being a showrunner, running a show with how many episodes, that goes on forever. Yeah. Plus there's notes. I mean, I, I realize that right. Netflix, again, is more hands-off, but they have more hands-on than not. Um, they, they do. Yeah, I'm sure with lots of things, especially television shows, because they get the scripts in advance and, you know, and I think since Big Little Lies and Ozark and, you know, uh, The Night Of, everyone wants to make a limited series. Yep. They're turning movies into limited series, like a movie that's been released. Let's say, let's make it a... Let's stretch it out. I, I, that's weird, but that's good. I mean, the, the more mediums, the better and the more, um... Ways to release material have, is great. Have you thought about playing around with sort of the form factor? Like, you know, this thing doesn't need to be 90-ish minutes to two hours. We could tell this in 
28 minutes mm-hmm. or 54 minutes. Have you, have you played around with that idea or are you sort of comfortable with things that are this long that have this many acts? I'm comfortable with the 120-page screenplay. It's usually a little bit less, but I'm so used to writing that that it, strangely, if <clears throat> if I didn't have page numbers, I would still end up somewhere around there. It's very intuitive. I've made short films, yeah. and they're fun, but my ideas, I think, stretch out a little bit longer than that. But I would, I would be challenged to make more short films or weird lengths. If someone knows your work, they go, oh, she makes movies star Catherine Keener and they feature complicated or difficult or pick your adjective female characters. And these are always the things they say about you. And you just talked about not wanting to be in the, the female ghetto. I guess the flip way of flipping that around is how come, why do you think in 2018 there are so few people who do the kind of movies you make with strong, interesting, complicated female leads? You'd think with all the money we're throwing around, there'd be enough room for more of the stuff Mm -hmm. that you do. Well, I think there are a lot of them. I mean, I just came from Toronto Film Festival, and there was a room full of them. They're just from all over the country. Mm -hmm. They don't have stars, and no one's ever going to see their beautiful movies. So there are, they are out there um, in America, in the, you know, Hollywood system. Um I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's a sexist business. It's uh, every business is generally sexist and but racist, you, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> so as a white guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you'd think that at some point you go, all right, well, that's fine. Well, p- look, periodically someone says, oh, it turns out if you make a movie for African Americans, it will do very well because that's an underserved audience, and they keep sort of having that revelation. I know. Periodically, every couple of years, and yeah. you'd think again. You know, especially when you have data people like Netflix who supposedly know what everyone wants mm-hmm. and can see what everyone wants. They think, oh, well, there's a demand for more of this stuff. Well, Netflix is, I think, hiring a lot more yeah. female directors. I think I think there is a movement that's realizing we can make money for them. And also we've shamed them enough so that they're doing the right thing. And that's okay as long as the, the tail can wag the dog and then eventually... You know what I mean? The, yeah. Then they'll start hiring us because we're talented. Speaking of shame, we're about a year, I think, since the, the first wave of Harvey Weinstein stories broke. And then, and then all the other stories that came after mm-hmm. that. Any sense of how Hollywood and, and the media world has changed um, in terms of how you do your work, how you sense that other people are doing work that you do? Not personally yeah. at all. Because do I don't is? work every day in these situations or, you know, the people I work with are wonderful and, you know, don't harass me or assault me mm-hmm. <laughs> in any way. Um, I mean, everybody talks about it. You know, if you flirt with someone, you know, it's like, uh-uh-uh. But in, you know, because we all know each other and love each other, it's, we're being, we're kind of joking within ourselves. Do you think that's a permanent, well, you're saying you haven't seen the change firsthand, so, no. so you're hearing about it. Do mm-hmm. you think... The reaction to Weinstein and, and all the subsequent stories are now sort of that's now baked into the culture. Or do you think we're sort of in a temporary phase and maybe people backslide? Probably both. I think you know people make comebacks. People you would never expect. I mean, people get elected to pre- as president that you would never expect. So even after we knew everything, Saw the tape heard the tape. Yeah. So I think it's a combination. I hope it changes f- for good. I think men are running from the for the hills who who might be slightly guilty. People should have better behavior. 
So I hope I hope it sticks. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were recording this a couple of days after Les Moonves was finally forced out mm-hmm. after for years. And I think people are just starting, it's just starting to sort of sink in sort of how outrageous some of that behavior was, again, mm-hmm. for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, us, we don't say anything. It's incredible. No, you're not saying anything, but he, you know, there, there's the Weinstein who'd been whispered slash rumored slash talked about forever. Les Moonves was not immediately on those lists. It wasn't right. someone who everyone sort of winked and nudged at. And it makes you wonder how much more of that is. I'm sure you have your own list. It's a short list. Yeah. Um, it's a very short list, but I have a little list. Nothing, nothing traumatic um, at all. But, you know, it's caused me some stress, I would say. But that's all. So let's say you're starting off. And you, you, are, you are Nicole, but you're starting off making movies in 2018. Mm-hmm. How is your life different than when you were trying to break into the business? Well, I think that 90s indie scene really helped me. And I think being a woman eventually helped me because I was more of an anomaly. And it's like, oh, let's give this girl a chance, you know, personal stories, and she'll do it for a million dollars. And the 90s indie scene was people are making movies for small amounts of money, but we've realized these things can be very popular and become insanely profitable because they cost so little and there's a lot of interest in them. Like after Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I think everything changed. And, And that gave me more confidence to plow ahead because those were the kind of movies I was going to make, I wanted to make, you know, screwed up people and their problems and, yeah. you know, funny stuff, sad stuff. So now, because you can make a movie by yourself and still with a lot less money and a much smaller camera and a smaller crew. Steven Soderbergh told me he'd be making movies on his iPhone, no doubt. He would be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I probably would be too. And that's great people can do that. You have to have a certain energy and, you know, uh, aggressive personality to say, I'm just going to do this anyway. Fuck it. You know, I have always relied on really good producers. Anthony Bregman, Stephanie Aspiazu and Ted Hope and Carrie, really loyal, really um, talented producers. And and not just for the logistical financial part of it, but, but they do what for you creatively? Oh my God. They're like, Nick, write whatever you want. Can't wait to read it. This is fantastic. Here's some notes. Don't listen to them. Um, don't worry, we're going to get this made. And and they protect me and Shrink and fight slash for me. cheerleader slash yeah. Yeah. support system. Yeah. Interesting. What's what's the next project going to be? You got the HBO thing coming out. Yeah. Is that, is that, are you directing an episode or are you going to be crew? The pilot. Uh, the, so that's it's And a then one-off. more. I'm an executive producer on okay. it, so I have the option to direct more but they're just writing the scripts now. And this is probably not something you spend the time thinking about, but any sense of, of how HBO might be changing now that they're owned by the phone company? <laughs> no, I have no. absolutely no idea. They're not idea. discussing it. You don't care. You no. want to make a show. Yeah. I assume they bought HBO because they want to continue making quality, beautiful things. Yeah, there's. they keep saying we want to do that, but we also want to make a lot more of them, and that's making everyone a tiny Yeah, bit well, that's like Netflix. I mean, it has an enormous amount of movies to release. Right. And up until now, the HBO critique of Netflix was, well, you guys make so much stuff that it gets lost. And if you come to HBO, we'll we'll shine your precious jewel. Yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think they're thinking that way anymore. No. Now they said, well, we said that, but that was because we didn't have any money. (laughs) Did they really? That's what Richard Pluffler said. Uh Uh, But now, now, now it turns out we want to make a lot more stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no reason they can't, right? I have no idea. 
I don't know, I don't don't know anything about that. Do you get a sense that all of this money that's flowing into Hollywood right now from the likes of Netflix and Apple and the phone company, that this is a temporary thing and that you ought to take advantage of it now while you can or you're going to make stuff on your own schedule whenever you can? Oh, well, I can only work on my own schedule. I can't write something faster than it than it should be written, you know? And so I don't have a situation that's broken. And so I feel like I don't have to worry about fixing it. And I think this streaming stuff is only going to get more immense and theaters are going to close and we're all going to cry. You know, virtual reality. No, I don't want to see that. I will say, though, that something like The Land of Steady Habits is something I'm very glad I saw. I may not have made it to the theater, babysitter, blah, blah, blah. Right, and I think right. it plays great on my Costco TV that I bought. But how big is your TV? Like I don't want to brag, but it's, it's 55. I mean, the main thing yeah. is, right, is that if I see in the theater, I don't go stop the movie and right. answer the phone. Right. Right, that I, I give you a full 90 minutes. And chances are, are you won't walk out. Most people don't walk out. Yeah. Even if they're disappointed in the movie. You know, it's too easy to push a button on Netflix. Yeah. Or uh, just you hear someone else in the house wants your attention. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and I watched, uh, I talked to uh, Bo Burnham, who made uh, mm-hmm. Eighth Grade, mm-hmm. and I saw that in the screening room. Mm-hmm. And that is a really tiny movie about a girl, and she's in eighth grade, and she's going to be in ninth grade, and that's the entirety of the story. But it's intense, and it's got this super loud soundtrack. And he said, yeah, we really want you to see it in this theater in part, because the audio is like... Mm. I can't wait to see this movie. I have not had a chance to see it. It's, it's pretty intense. And actually, there's, yeah. some, there's some, uh, some common threads between your movie and his movie, mm-hmm. I think. Well, I'll, 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 I'll let you cool. judge. Yeah. All right. I will let you go. Okay. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Great to meet you. You too. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you like it, tell someone else about it and go see The Land of Steady Habits. Did I get the name right? Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Connecticut unofficial motto I read? Yeah. It, in the olden days, in like the 50s, I think, um, because it was a commuter town, uh-huh. I believe. And so it was very, you know, yeah. filled with habitual behavior. I love it. I like uh, the death place of ambition, which is supposedly what Dylan Thomas said about either Wales or Swansea, but it may be apocryphal. Wait, say that again. He called He, he what? called what? either Wales or Swansea, a town in Wales, the graveyard of ambition. Oh, my God. How <laughs> I was born there, supposedly. Thanks to our sponsors, who are full of ambition. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, who bring them to you, so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits the show. My producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson, who are great, just like yours. Thanks to Jelani, who came along on this trip. Thanks, Jelani Carter. Thanks to you guys for listening. See you next week. <laughs>